What are you looking for this Christmas? What are you looking for? You know, at this time of year, and and really at, at every time of the year for that matter, we have this experience on some level and in some way where we are all looking for something. Some of us today, we're here and we're looking to worship. We are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and that the things that we have been singing about, the things that we have read about, the things that I'm going to speak about today, we believe that those things actually happened in history some 2,000 years ago. And so we're here and we're looking to worship today. That's some of our stories. For others of us, we're, we're, we're here and we're looking for answers. We're not yet convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, that we've heard this Christmas story before, but we're not quite sure if that's actually true or, and, and if it means anything for us. That's some of us in this room. In a room like this, we're going to have different starting points like these or somewhere in between, and we're also going to have different postures. Like some of us, you love Christmas. You started celebrating in October. Like, you know who you are. I see your posts. Yeah. You've been, you've been celebrating for a long time, and you're here today, and your posture is like, this is a season of joy. Like, I am so excited to be here today. This is a happy and a good and a joyous season for you. But let's be honest, that's not the story for us all here today, is it? Right? Some of us, we love this season. Others of us, it's just one big reminder of what we don't have or what's missing in our life or what we've lost or what we want but we don't have. And so we're here today and this season isn't happy. It's actually a hard season. That's some of our stories in this room today. And in a room like this, every seat has a story and every single story matters and each of us is looking for something this Christmas season. And underneath that looking, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but underneath that looking, that sense that I'm looking for something is your longings, the desires you have, the hopes and wants that exist in your daily life and those things that drive you to look for something or someone to satisfy the longings you have. See, the reality is that as humans in every single seat, this is true. We look for what we long for. We look for what we long for, and longing is at the heart of this season that the church calls Advent, this season that we've been celebrating since the beginning of December. Historically, Advent refers to the longing the Jewish community had for God to show up and do something again in a mighty way, just like he had done before. The Bible calls it the Exodus, that there was a time when God came down and he freed his people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out of slavery and he brought them into a life with him. And it had marked God's people for centuries. It had shaped their identity and their hopes for the future. And ever since then, the Jewish people had been looking and longing for God to one day show up and do again what he had done before, waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for that to happen. Advent is about longing, and it's about looking. And today what I want to do in the short time we have together is I want to talk about a powerful longing that you and I have and how Christmas speaks to it. This longing is this. We want to be wanted and loved. We want to be wanted and loved, to have the experience of being seen and acknowledged as someone who matters, to be seen as significant and worth other people's time and attention, to be known for more than what we do, but for who we are and to be celebrated for that. 
We want to be loved in a way that we do not have to perform for or strive to keep. See, this powerful longing deep within each and every one of us drives our looking and it drives us to look to people and to places, to accomplishments and achievements and the recognition we get from that. It draws us to want to have recognition for what we do and have attention online. We are constantly looking for the experience of being wanted and being loved. And today what I want to do is talk about this longing. I want to talk about this looking and the wildly beautiful hope that is Christmas and how it speaks to that. To do this, let's turn back to the passage that the Nemetchek family just read and start reading in verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This fall, our church has been going through a book of the Bible called First John. It's a letter in the Bible that was written by a man named John who had a firsthand experience of a life with the incarnated Jesus when God became human. He spent three years of his life with Jesus. He heard Jesus speak with his own ears. He listened to Jesus' teaching and his words to all the people that he spoke to. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He touched him. He touched God in human form with his very own hands. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, invited into some of the most intimate moments of Jesus' life. John was someone who had had as up-close and personal encounter and experience of Jesus as humanly possible. And now, years later, he's writing to a group of people who have shaky faith and they need it to be strengthened. Life had happened. It was hard and it was difficult. And the way John seeks to strengthen the shaky faith is to come back over and over again to what has been called the supreme mystery with which Christianity confronts us. That God became human and he lived among us in Jesus of Nazareth. J.I. Packer in his well-known book, Knowing God, says, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. The word became flesh, God became man, the divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. He goes on to say that the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. See, Christmas... And Christianity is built on the staggering idea that there is a being named God and that this God became just like us and lived among us at a time in history, that this is a historical reality that also at the very same time confronts us with a great mystery, no question about it. It's a great mystery to think about how the eternal divine being called God could become human and time-bound. It stretches the limits of the human intellect and our imagination. And yet the claim of Christianity is that this actually happened. That God did become human and God did live among us. And there were people like John who witnessed it firsthand. See, John, as I've said already, he was someone who was deeply acquainted with Jesus. And because 
of, the, of his experience of him, John can write these words that he's writing to us today, all these years later, with authority and with a reliability that we can actually trust or at the very least listen to because John actually witnessed what we've talked about today for himself. And so when John tells us in these verses that God is love, he knows because he had a firsthand experience of it. God is love. Beautiful statement. God is love. This is revelation language. This is language that's meant to open our eyes to see something of who God is and what he's like. It's a beautiful statement, but it's also a very misunderstood statement, partly because love is such a hazy and ill-defined term in our world today. Movies and media have shaped our vision and imagination of what love is and and the consequences of that is that we have a distorted view of love. Kids, kids, it's just like the story we just read about Ahava. Did she understand what love really was? She didn't, did she? Right. Thank you. Participation is welcome. She thought it had to do with the amazing things she did, with being first or the best or having the right answers. As Miss Carol read, she was really smart. But was she loving? She wasn't, was she? Why do you think that is, kids? Why do you think she wasn't loving? She didn't really understand what love truly was, did she? Yes, what she needed, just like we all need, is something to shape our understanding of what love is. And so John, when he says this, what he's doing is starting to shape our vision of God, but also our vision of what love actually is. And so what is he saying when he's saying God is love? Well, what he's not saying is that God is loving, and one of the things he does is to love, although both of those things are true. He's also not saying that love is God, and that any display of love is a divine act, Instead, what he's saying is that the inmost being of the God we worship is love, and that because of that, all that he does is loving. He's saying love is something God is, and love is something that God does. And because this is who he is, he can't stop loving. He can't help himself. It's his character. It's his nature. He can't stop moving towards the people that he loves. His nature won't let him be anything less than someone who is awesome and active in love. So it makes sense then that this God wouldn't stay distant from us, that he wouldn't stay in heaven, that he wouldn't create us and then just fold up his arms and watch us run around and do life apart from him. It makes sense then that his love wouldn't let him do that. Instead, this God does not stay distant. He actually comes to us as John writes in verses nine and 10. Look there with me again. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us, and so God came to us. Notice the pattern here. Before God came, it was his love that was present. His love came before his coming. His love moves him to leave behind heaven and to step into history and to take on human form and to live among us. And you have to hear this. I hope you really hear this today, that before you ever loved God, he loved you. Before you ever loved God, before you ever believed there was a God, you were on God's mind. In the Bible, There's a prayer by a guy named David. 
And he brings us to light as he prays. In Psalm 139, David prays this. He says, he's talking to God. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You have been on the mind of God since eternity. He loved you before he created the world, before you were in your mother's womb, before you drew a single breath or lived a single day, you were on God's mind and his heart was set upon you. And this isn't something that's just written in a book. It's not just a warm, fuzzy idea. It's not just a theory or a philosophy or an idea. God is actually showing you that he loves you in a concrete way, a way that can be seen and touched and known. And he's done it in Jesus This is how God showed his love among us, John writes. That word showed, it means revealed. It means revealed, meaning that when Jesus was born, when he lived on earth, he revealed God to us. That the God who is love became a flesh and bones reality in the human person named Jesus. He was able to be seen. He was able to be touched. He was able to be listened to. He was able to be looked upon. The invisible God was made visible in Jesus. And the love that we long for, well, it became a flesh and bones reality in Jesus. And if you want to know who God is and what he's like, all you need to do is look at Jesus because Jesus is God and he is the God who is love with flesh and bone on. Listen to him, see how he treats people, what he did and said because in Jesus we see the God who is love being made known to us. But it's also more than that. See, I mean, that's an amazing reality in and of itself, but it's also more. John says Jesus didn't just reveal God to us, that he actually came to rescue us so that we could know the God who is loved personally and truly. And this is where we really see how much we are wanted and loved by God. Verse 10, again, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, we come to know the love of God most clearly and most fully when we look at one place, the cross. The cross is where the power of God's love meets our longing and our looking. If you've ever felt unwanted, if you've ever felt unloved or wondered what God's love is like, John says the cross is the place that you need to go because there we see the clearest and most fullest picture of the God who is love and his love being displayed for all to see. There we see just how much we are wanted and we are loved. There God deals with the fractured relationship between him and humanity that we caused in a garden called Eden. There God deals with what the Bible calls sin and opens the way for us to know him both now and forever. In this is love, John says. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he came to us to rescue us into a life and relationship with him. It's not that we could earn God's love, it's that he offers us his love and he offers us life to the full in and through Jesus. This is love, that God loves you and he wants you and he showed you how much that is true by coming to lay down his life for you so that you could have a life with him. This is love. It's a sacrifice named Jesus who removed your sin and made us holy and blameless in God's sight, making a way for us to be cleansed of our sin, declared not guilty before God as if we had never sinned, and he brings us into a life with the God who is love. 
This is the gift and the hope of Christmas. This is the gift and the hope that you and I are being offered to receive today once again and for the very, or for the very first time. If you receive this gift, if you believe in Jesus and that what he did on a day in history, that he did come, that he did live, that he did die and then rise again and that counts for you, guess what happens? You will be rescued from the power of sin and death. And you will experience the power of a holy love that is better than life itself. You will be brought into a life with God both now and forever. And you will experience the wildly beautiful hope that comes with Christmas is that God has come looking for you. He's come looking for you. He came looking for you because he wants you and he loves you. Christmas is God saying to you and to me and to the world that you are wanted and that you are loved Kids, remember Ahava? She didn't know what love was until she looked into the eyes of Jesus and she held that baby. Then she knew what love truly was because she had encountered the God who is love for herself. And that's what I think we need more than anything this holiday season is to encounter the God who is love because when we look into the eyes of Jesus, when we slow down enough in this busy season to think about and to ponder a God who had a life in heaven but gave that up so that he could die for you and for me so that we could experience a love, what you start to see is what Ahava saw was that this is love and this is the love that we have always been looking for but is now found in the person and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do today to enjoy this and to experience this is to receive it. Come to Jesus, believe in him, and this hope is yours. He loves you, and he wants you, and he wants you to receive this gift. And when that is the case, it leads you to one place. It leads you to worship. It leads you to worship. Ruth Chow Simons writes this. She says, the miracle of Christmas is this that a holy God made a way for all who believe to come to him by first coming to us. Let that sink in. God's promises fulfilled by God himself are more than remarkable. They merit a response, not to get busy, but to fall down in reverence and awe for our great God. Worship, expressing our love and affection for Jesus is the best response to what God did on that first Christmas and ultimately what he did on the cross for us. And so in response today, we're gonna respond together. We are going to enter into a time of singing where you can stay in your seat and you can worship and you can sing to the God who loves you and wants you and has shown that in his son Jesus. Or you can come and pray. We're gonna have prayer teams up here um, and we'd like to invite them to the front at this point. But you can come and you can say, I, I want this hope. I want this love. I want this experience that John experienced and so many others have experienced. You can respond today by coming for prayer. We would love to do that and pray for you. But worship and giving your life over to Jesus is the one who gave his life for you. That is the, the most beautiful response today. And so as I light this final candle, this Christmas Eve candle, let's see it today as a reminder of this God and this love, and as I light this candle, hold on to this truth. You don't need to look anymore. 
What you long for has come and is here, and he is offering you a wildly beautiful hope for this season and every season. And that hope is this, that you are wanted and loved by the God who is love. And so as I light this candle, kids, why don't you light up your candles too? And let's respond in worship to the God who is love.